why is it always men that get to go on adventures, slay dragons, and be the heroes in so many fantasy books? Where are all the farm girls, the grimdark anti-heroines, and the dark ladies? To put it simply, where are all the women? And to take it a step further, where are all the mothers in fantasy? Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week's interview is with fantasy author Tamandra Whitecastle, who easily has the best fantasy protagonist name I've heard. I had the chance to speak with her about Queens of the Weird, her new epic fantasy where Viking moms go on an adventure to save the world from Ragnarok. We talk about a vital tool for self-published writers, the role of women warriors in history, and of course, Norse mythology. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, Tamandra. It's great to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so I guess my first question is uh, kind of a two-parter. So one, how did you first fall in love with the fantasy genre? And two, uh, when did you decide you wanted to become a writer? Hmm. So I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's been with me for such a long time, um, the fantasy reading. And I, I seriously don't. Uh, like one of my earliest memories is uh, going to go into the library and just, you know, um, my mom just going like, choose whatever you want. So <laughs> just went in and got a ton of books. And I, I'm pretty sure that there were lots of fantastical adventure stuff. Um, I, I, I don't, like one of the things that I, I remember when I was older and the, um, Chronicles of Narnia came out, um, uh, as a movie. So I got myself the Narnia books, thinking that I hadn't read them. And I was like, this must have passed me by, you know, as a, as a child. I don't remember Narnia. What's, what is this thing? And I started reading them. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I remember this. So, um, yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Um, a love of fantasy, or just fiction in general, and, uh, and having the freedom to just choose whatever I wanted to read, which was pretty awesome. As a writer, I don't know. And the thing is that, I never really, so I didn't actually want to be a writer. So, um, you know, as if you'd ask like small Tim, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't think she would ever have understood the concept of, you know, people get paid to actually write books. That just wasn't um, a valid career choice. <laughs> so it's like uh, um, I, I wanted to be um uh, a professional reader, so someone who gets paid to read books. That that was like the one thing that I always wanted to do. That would be the and, dream, uh, right? <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Can't just someone pay me like on a monthly basis? Like I could read so many books. So um, that was sort of the the idea was uh, I want to have I want to have a job where I can get to read loads and loads of books, and so publishing was sort of the way that I thought, well, that's great because I could start at a publishing company and I'll probably be like assigned to the slush pile. And then I can read all these books and then, and then I can get to choose, oh, this is a great book. You know, we should publish this one. And then that always was an awesome concept to me. So I think that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a professional reader. And the writing just came because uh, I wanted to read a certain kind of book and I couldn't find it. And I was like, damn probably have to write it myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh so what kind of book would that be for you like what kind of book were you wishing was out there in the world and you just had to do it yourself well it's um it's funny because like uh 
most of the stuff that I read was very, like, very dark and gritty. And like I said, I have basically mm. a free reign to read whatever I want. And um, like my parents never told me, oh, you, you can't read that. That's, you know, I remember <laughs> my family. So the British part of my family is very into Bernard Cornwall, which is like uh, he's, he's actually like a military, military historical novel guy. Okay known for his um, sharp sharp books which is like an endless series of I don't know how many books and like everyone in my family read them so it was just like a natural thing that eventually I just picked it up and started reading as well it was like yeah um but there he also wrote a series uh, a trilogy actually um on Arthur uh, so King Arthur and it's like the reimagining what if uh, Arthur you know had actually happened and tried to like ground as much of of it that's possible in like the the actual history of of the, the well, so i'm trying not to say dark ages because uh, as a i studied medieval history and i'm like it's not dark damn it like all of your preconceptions about the dark ages are totally wrong and they were actually very light and but basically that time uh around like 300 to 500 um of our common era in britain where the romans had left and uh, there was not yet the uh, Anglo-Saxon invasion, like the, the coast, um, you know, all the ships coming over. And so it, we don't have too much uh, of a chronology. And his reimagining was very based on what we do have. And I really love that. But it's, it's dark, right? And I read it when I was 14, 15. And it's like, it's gruesome. <laughs> I think if my daughter would come along and she'd be like 14, which is very soon in a couple of years, and we'd be like, Mom, I want you to read this book. I'd be like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, yeah, that, I just, um, because it was so natural for my family, like we all read Bernard Cornwall, so I, that's, that's where I started. But then I also read, like, Lord of the Rings, and uh, I fell in love with the Silmarillion. And then um, because I was looking for something that was, like, fantasy, and uh, I read... I read Quorum first, uh, Michael Moorcock's Quorum. Okay. And then uh, went and read Elric and just sort of like meandered around <laughs> basically reading anything. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that was sort of the, the point where I, I said, well, I, I want to write this story. It was like, it was 2008. And I know this because I had just given birth to my daughter, who's now, 11 years old already in the Harry Potter age. Uh, and she's yeah. expecting her letter to Hogwarts. But she was newly born. I was a newly born mum. And as a newly born mum, you have a lot of sleepless nights. And so what can you do? Well, you can at least sit there and read a book. And so I was reading a lot. And I read, uh, I think Last Argument of Kings came out around that time. I'd have to check. Uh, but it's Joe Abercrombie. I was like, you know, the, that ending is so perfect because it circles back right to the very first chapter. And I was like, oh, God, this is so good. Like, but, but why is it only men? Yeah. <laughs> why is it only men? I mean, it's like, why don't we have something like that? But, but for women, like, you know, where are, where are all the women? And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, about a decade ago now. So there has been a lot of improvement in, in the fantasy world. We do have a lot more women now, which is very good, but uh, there can always be more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, and so uh, that was when you decided to write the Living Blade trilogy. Basically, yes. So I, I had um, and so I had a story that I always wanted to tell, and I had been sort of writing a bit here and there, and um, you know, trying to fiddle about with it. But it, it never really quite, it never really quite got anywhere. Even though I don't know, pages and pages and two hundred pages of this book that would yeah. just never end. And uh, I was like, this is this is madness to, t- to keep trying to do something that isn't, that isn't working. So maybe I have to like level up my writing skill and just like sit down and write something that I'd like to write and then, you know, get it out of my system, start leveling up with my writing skills, hone the craft and all that kind of stuff. And, and then come back to the story that I actually wanted to write. Uh, and I started writing touch of iron and very quickly, like, as, while I was writing, I was like, oh, this is actually, this is a lot the story that I wanted to write, but I couldn't really get my head around. And a lot of that sort of bled into Touch of Iron, which is also very gritty and very dark because that was, you know, well, I, I, I particularly loved it at that, at that point. I don't, I don't know if, I, if I'd have to write it again now, I don't think I'd, I'd choose to go that dark. Okay. But it worked. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, so I know, uh, that was kind of your major project for a while. So how does it, it feel to be done with the Living Blade trilogy? It's sort of weird because the one thing is, um, so I spent three years writing the three books. Well, actually it's like three and a half books. Cause I, I also got the uh, lead in novella, which is called blood, which was just set in the same, same world. Um, and, it, it, it's just a, it's a huge chunk of time that you spend with these characters and in the setting and 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 trying to figure everything out and and you know writing all the stuff and so it's it it's hard to let that go. It's like it's hard to say no. I'm going to stop it here because my my original plan was um, this was going to be like a five book um, series. So I'd have the trilogy and then there'd be like a there would be like a massive jump in time. And then we'd have like book four and five is more like a duology, but features some of the same characters. So I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stop here after the trilogy because it's, it's a, it's a good ending point and maybe just like save the rest for another time and, and then jump back into it. So it's all like, I haven't actually let it go. So I've let it go, but I'm also not letting it go. <laughs> Sure. And I mean, as fantasy fans, we're kind of conditioned to expect trilogies too. So it seems like a natural stopping point and you always have that to go back to if you want to. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm like, so the the main story is told in that trilogy and the other two books would be like a a very different story. So it wouldn't make sense to to, to write that. Um, So yeah. But I was was sad. It's like no, it's finished now. What do I do next? But then uh, I had a few ideas. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure as a as a writer, you have more ideas than you know what to do with for the most part. Yes, too too many ideas, too little time to write them all down. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and so I guess one thing I'm curious about, uh, uh, since you're a self published author, what made you decide to go that route? And uh, I guess how did that sort of come to be? Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, I wanted to work in, uh, I wanted to go into publishing originally, um, because I wanted to read <laughs> professionally, <laughs> uh, and, 
The thing is that the traditional publishing system, the way it's set up, is like um, you can get lucky and be, get picked up by an agent and your book sells onto a publisher, but it is, there's just a huge amount of luck involved. So there's, um, there is some talent, obviously you have to be able to write um, in order to get picked up, but in, in the end, it's very much like, it's not even a lottery, like, because it, it's more akin to, um, so the probability of you landing a big traditional publishing hit is like, if you were walking along the street and you, you'd find a scrap of paper and it turns out to be like a, a lottery ticket that someone lost. And instead of throwing that piece of paper away because you're super tidy and neat, <laughs> you, you take it home and you watch the news and, and it's exactly those lottery numbers that you just picked up from a random scrap of paper um, mm. on the street. Like that, that's the probability we're talking about here. And the fact that a lot of people think that that's a viable option today is, is, is horrendous. <laughs> Actually, it's like, it's, you have to have so, so you have to have so much luck to, to, to get that far, to get a good agent who's invested in your work and who will sell um, not only your debut, but like every other novel that you will hopefully be able to write then. Like right. that's, that's a huge thing. And it, um, I'm not saying it doesn't take talent because obviously it does because you've got to, you know, you've got to have that foot, you know, firmly planted. You've got to be able to 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 tell a story, otherwise no one will, in their right minds would take you. But it's like it, that that just didn't seem very. It didn't seem to me to be a very feasible option. Like uh, that that was just um, it was it was too high. Of, a, of an improbability um, that I would get that lucky. And the other thing is that, um, so we sort of, we tend to make that distinction between trad publishing and self-publishing. And I get very furious about it <laughs> because the thing is that uh, you can, of course, because this is the things that uh, often don't get I often don't get discussed when when you're talking about trad publishing as as a viable option to to get your book out there is that not only do you need luck but you can help your luck along by doing certain things namely gaining an audience on your own so one of my favorite fantasy examples for this in recent times which at least most of us have heard of if we haven't read it is like um, um Christopher Paolini's Aragon Sure. Now he wrote it as like a, he was fourteen, fifteen, I think, um, and um, wrote this huge epic fantasy story uh, in his bedroom. And then what happened? Well, his parents didn't send him off. You know, well, we'll just pitch this to an agent and get lucky. Hopefully, he was like, no, they, they, they went out. They told people like our son, you know, is fourteen. He's written this epic fantasy. It's good. You should read it. And then after a certain amount of time this sort of it went from word of mouth like oh my god this is a 14 year old who has written and he was like 16 at the time already you know, he's right. written this big massive epic fantasy book and it's so good you should read it you know you should have copies in your library and through that like the word of mouth spreading about that book is what led to it being picked up and that's the point like there is if you want to have 
uh, a chance. Like if you want to improve your luck at getting picked up by trad, and we've been seeing this the last few years or so, the self-publishing route is a very viable option to get your name out there, to prove to whatever agent you want to later pitch that yes, you can write a good story, you have the skill, you have the talent, you have name recognition, there are people out there who are already waiting for your next story. Like that's an easy sell. That's an easy pitch. Like you query that agent and you say, my short story was long listed for the British um, Society of Fantasy Association, um, you know, in best short fiction 2018. Uh, my short stories have appeared in Grimdark magazine. They've appeared in this anthology. It's also been in this anthology. Like you're, you're not selling that I am no one and I know nothing. It's like, I am a you know, published author. I know what I'm doing. I can work to deadline. I can work to specification. And that's far easier to get picked then than to be like, oh, well, I know nothing. Please take my book. <laughs> it's sure. awesome. I, yeah. I mean, it's like you're kind of building a resume while Absolutely. you're pursuing traditional publication, if that's the route you end up pursuing. That's, and and the, the, the point that I want to make is that that is the track publishing method. Like, the trad publishing method is to get your name out there. Self-publishing is just another tool in that toolbox. Like you can you can write for anthologies. You can write for you know the magazines have open submissions. You can write for Locus. You can write for Dark Magazine. You know get your get your name out there. People will begin to recognize it. Someone will be you'll pitch an agent. You'll and and they might have read your you know your short story in i don't know wherever fireside fiction and they'll be like oh yeah i know this i read this story it was good you know uh yeah send me the first three chapters of your manuscript or whatever you've got and 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 then go from it so this is this is trad publishing and self-publishing is just another means like it's like it's another way to do it i can publish my own novels you know i can build my own audience to what end? Well, I could go trad if someone, you know, would make me a really good offer. Is like, but I don't have to because I have my own audience and I have, you know, my own books and I can write the stories that I want to write and maybe not necessarily those that fit a certain demographic in the market, which is always a bit, you know, tricky. Yeah. Also, yeah, it's like I, I hate the dichotomy. I hate the whole trad pub versus self-pub things. Like, no, this is publishing. Let's just skip trad and self just like if you want to write write and get your name out there and whatever tool you use is absolutely viable if you want to go trad if you want to go self doesn't matter the publishing business is changing so much it feels like on a year-to-year basis uh so it just kind of seems to be the direction that it's moving is multiple options for people to explore yeah um and i guess so talking about the business of publishing one thing uh, i've seen you say online before uh, the importance of having a mailing list, like that's one of the main things that helps a self-pub author and I guess a traditionally published author as well. Uh, so yes. I'm curious because as someone who uh, doesn't know much about it and maybe thinks that mailing lists are a thing of the past, uh, so I guess could you talk a little bit about why they're so important and how you go about building one? So imagine you have um, you have your favorite football team. Oh no, Americans say soccer. 
sorry. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but we'll just let's just stick with football because I think that's a more American football. Um, sure, we follow both kinds of football here. Yeah, you know. So, so you are a huge fan, but this football team does not have any other presence other than um, on the on their playing field and on social media. So you can follow them on social media. You probably do like on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever, you know, the social media poison of your choice. Um, But what you really want to do as a fan is connect with, you know, them directly. You want to be informed of um, certain things that are going on. And, you know, you want to have that direct line. You want to be the first person who knows, you know, against whom they're going to play in the next three months. You want to be the first person who knows um, about player changes, you know, in the team. Where do you get that? You don't, I mean, you can wait until you find out on social media and blah, 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 blah. But the best thing would be if that football team would have an email list where you write down your name and they send you directly into your inbox. You don't have to do anything. All of the information that you want. So it's basically like a direct one-on-one line to my readers and then to me and for me i i I have difficulty on social media (laughs) so um i'm a i'm an introvert and i'm i'm more of a thinking person and not uh, a talking person so um i have deep thoughts but i can't get them into 280 characters (laughs) and it's it's hard and I, i i hate facebook but one of the other big problems also is that if you've built a following on Facebook or if you've built a huge following on Twitter, those followers um, are incumbent on that social media platform. So if Twitter decides, you know what, we're just going we're, we're to scrap, our, you know, Twitter's going to die tomorrow or maybe Facebook, you know, um, people are not uh, as trusting with Facebook as they (laughs) once were. And so many people don't use it anymore. And maybe it'll just fizzle out like MySpace before it, who knows, you know, um, what happens to your audience then? Well, if you don't have an email list, they are basically stranded because they can't reach you. They won't get the information because you're on that platform. But if that platform closes, you don't have anything. So an email list is like everyone has email and everyone gets email. Everyone sends email. It's very, it's very boring, but very reliable system of communication. (laughs) So it's like, here's my email. You can reach me anytime. And, you know, once a month I send out like a, this is what I'm doing right now. And I have to say my email is very, very small. So in comparison to some other numbers that I've had out there, which is like, I don't know how, (laughs) I don't have too many readers, obviously, but, um, it's, it's, it's yours. Like my, my email list of of people who want to, who I know want to hear from me. So, you know, it's like a permission. They give me permission to drop it to their inbox. And, you know, that's, that's awesome. It's like, these are people who want to know about my publication schedule. You know, these people who want to know what I'm writing right now. And it would be foolhardy to to let that go and just focus on social media where it's it's not yours like they can those followers can vanish and then and then how will they find you i don't know just doesn't make sense to me it's like i'd rather own something 
and it have it be mine uh, than go, you know, 10,000 followers on Twitter and then Twitter decides um, to put me in Twitter jail. <laughs> and, and then yeah. what? You know, so it's like, mm, mm. get an email list. And from a fan's perspective, like for me, I find myself signing up for email lists a lot of times because uh, to use your football analogy, sometimes it's like I get free tickets, right? Or something exactly. like that. Like there's little perks that authors can send out. Like I think uh, you give out a free novella. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like you can get the free novella, the tie-in to the Living Blade series. And so I'm, um, I'm working on something else right now for Queens of the Weird, where uh, I've actually I've commissioned art and uh, I'd like to... Um, be able to you know send that out to people and uh no well let's see <laughs> let's see how that goes but it's just yeah. like it's nice to have like a little a goodie bag you know if you if you go to your football team and they'd be like hey sign up and we'll send you um a postcard that's signed by all of the players like that's yeah. awesome it, like that's what you want to be a fan for you like yeah my team's great and that's that's exactly the same thing with an email list it's like my my people want to listen to what I have to say for some reason. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm a direct communication. So never underestimate the power. And so since you brought it up, that's a great segue into talking about Queens of the Weird, which I'm so glad you said first because I would have said Queens of the Word. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, what's the origin story for Queens of the Weird? How did that story come about for you? I was sort of in, um, I was in a reading and writing slump. So I, was, I had a 2017, 2018 were not very happy <laughs> for me. And uh, I was fighting a lot of darkness in, in my own personal life. And so I read, um, it was sort of like a chain of events. So I read um, Kings of the Wild, Nicholas Eames, like, who hasn't read it? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it and it's good it's it's a great it's a great fun book and it was just like it was so unabashedly fun as well it's like yes like you know you've got the rock band allure and, and they go mm. out on this adventure and they're owl bears for god's sake yeah <laughs> it's like how awesome is that and i just i was like I, I i'd love to be able to write something like this but the problem with kings is that it's it's got that very typical male fantasy setup where a group of guys goes on an adventure and um, Clay Cooper's wife gets to stay at home and look after her daughter or their daughter, you know. And I'm like, mm, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with it because I know it's like the, the thing that you have to do in epic fantasy, but it's, it's not something that... Um, I can accept. So I get very frustrated when things like that happen or when um, the only women that you get are like these, um, the, the typical, like, um, I don't even, <laughs> the, the typical, oh, she's so evil, the sorceress, you know, yeah. and she's an evil temptress as well because uh, she wants to have sex with the main character, but then she'll dump him and he'll have feels and that's terrible. You know? How evil. It's like, oh, it's, she's so evil. And it's like, why? Why can't we have like fun and positive representation? <laughs> you know, mm. and, and I'm a mom and I want to see I want to see more moms out there in, in fantasy and, and having 
cool stuff to do. Like not, one of the things that always gets me, and this is another example from um, something that probably most of us have seen or heard or, or read. And one of the things that always gets me about Game of Thrones is like, this is my pet peeve, is when people turn around and tell me, yeah, but Cersei Lannister's a great mom. Oh. And I'm like, what the fuck? Have you seen <laughs> Joffrey? Have you, have you like, hello? She is not a good mom. Like, don't give me that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. like, don't, don't talk to me about Cersei Lannister being a good mother representation. That's like so bad. Yeah, but she, she works so hard for her children. Mm. No, she spoiled her child rotten, which is why he was such a fucking psychopath. Like that's that's not good mother. Advice. Yeah, she's a great character, and she is a mom, but she is not a great mom. <laughs> no, so like, stop doing that thing, please stop it. You know, and um, so I had that frustration. I had the frustration with Kings of the Wild. I'm like, yes, this is awesome, but and then I also watched um, Thor Ragnarok came out at the same time, and I was just like, yeah, this this is really really good. So I I want to write something that's fun and. It's like they all go on an adventure, but it's uh, only women <laughs> and they're all moms and they go out and have a fun adventure. But then you have a problem with the kids because it's like, in my original version, I had, uh, I wanted to have two kids because I have two kids. So obviously this is a self-insert. You know? sure. <laughs> two kids for Lovis, but then I was like, oh, but that's really hard because then you have to... You know, not only do you have to have two different characters as children, but then you also have to have different age means different needs and that was really difficult to do logistically so uh, I sort of melded my children together into into the into the child character Birka so yeah but it was just fun it was fun writing it was fun reading uh, and and watching uh, Ragnarok and, and I was like yeah I'm gonna do Viking like <laughs> I'm gonna do Viking moms yeah and I you know if I had to guess what two of your influences where I probably could have guessed those just because, I mean, it does seem like, you know, Norse fantasy from Thor Ragnarok plus the fun of Thor and Kings of the Wild. Um, so I guess I wonder a little bit uh, between Thor and Kings of the Wild, uh, how do you kind of uh, take a story as a starting point, maybe pay homage to it um, while still making sure it's your own thing? I think mm, you can only make it your own thing. So... Mm. Um, one of the things that always, um, okay, so let me try and backtrack. You have 10 writers in a room and you walk into the, the writer's room and you go, okay, I want you each to write a story version of Little Red Riding Hood. Now the specifics are exactly the same. Everyone knows the story. There's a little girl, she's got a red cap. She visits a grand, there's a wolf, there's a forest. Right, we know the story. And I promise you that even though you have exactly the same story that like everyone has exactly the same source material every one of those 10 writers will have a completely different story in the end and that's because every writer has their own has their own thing <laughs> this is like the it's the it's a bit new agey but it's like the um, you know your purpose that the universe has given you is to be as much you as you possibly can it's like, so embrace the you-ness and, and write something that is, you know, you. So I, I can't write Kings of the Wild like, because I'm not Nicholas Eames, you know, sadly. <laughs> 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 I, 
<laughs> but, uh, you know, that's fine because we already have Nicholas Eames. So, you know, um, I can take the same premise of uh, there's a, one of the daughters is in a beleaguered, like, besieged city and they make the decision to go out and save her from this terrible situation. So that's like the, the basic premise is the same. But I wouldn't be able to write that because I can't, like my my way of seeing the world and my experience of the world is completely different. Yeah, so obviously my story would have to be completely different. And like I said, like fancy daycare is not a thing. <laughs> yeah. You can't leave your kids with uh, nanny goats uh, kindergarten. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what do you do then? You know, as a mom, can you even have an adventure? Where do you leave your children? Do you take them along? Do you leave them somewhere? It's a it's a tough call to make. And that that was one of the things that really stood out to me about Queens of the Weird was the kid comes along on the adventure, which I I can't think of any other fantasy stories where I've seen that before. I mean, maybe they're out there, uh, but I haven't seen that. Yeah, I I don't think I've seen. Um, I mean, it's it's like um, if you go back to like the traditional epic fantasies. Um, I'm trying to think like what was the age of um, what how what was his name in the Belgariad? Belgariad, yeah, Garian, yeah. How old was he when he started out? Because it's like the trope is already there. You have like the old mentor figure mm-hmm. who you know takes along the the chosen one orphan farm boy, you know, who then goes on to, to, you know, be the savior of the world. And, and uh, so it's sort of like, it's taking that trope, but actually making that connection. So the mentor figure is the parent and the child is slightly younger than one would expect. But I mean, like kids nowadays, they, they are so much more media savvy than we are. Like, uh, or that when we were, they they see a lot more things and like and we just watched um, the entire Harry Potter series because we we read the books and so now we watch the all of the films and yeah. like some of it is really really dark but kids they can they can do that yeah <laughs> you yep. know? It's, it's it's fine so maybe um, maybe it's fine to take your daughter along with you <laughs> it's a horrifying war situation i don't know but if you look back in history that's like that's what actually happened like parents took their kids along with them onto the fields and um if they were warriors uh, and in a like a the um you know the, the logistic chains like if you were an armorer for the army or for the for the armed troops then you would you'd be you know, alongside the warriors and, and obviously you'd have children running around there. So, so it's like, um, that's, that's always been there. So why don't we, you know, make a, why do we always have to stick the children with the moms and let the moms stay there? That's, that's very 20th century of us, actually. It's not very realistic. And I mean, that's funny because when people complain about stories not being realistic, they're normally saying, you know, it's not bloody enough. We're not talking about the latrines that they're digging, things like that. But yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Um, and I guess also, so talking about how things would actually be in history, uh, it seems like you kind of did at least some research into Norse mythology and history. Uh, I know I've seen uh, before you've mentioned like the bones that were found and everyone just assumed, uh, oh, these must be like male Viking warriors or something. But uh, in actuality, they might be women. Uh, so I guess what kind of research did you do? What kind of cool stuff did you find out along the way? 
So um, I have a I have a small bonus, actually two, because I've always I've always loved mythology. So I, I've read a lot of the like the old. So it comes with a name, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh, Tamana is such an interesting name. Where did that come from?" And I'm like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's Greek mythology, actually. You know, let me tell you the story. <laughs> so, um, I used to read a lot uh, of the mythologies as, as a child. So, uh, I, I am quite savvy in, in that kind of area, which led me then to study history, medieval history, yeah, at university. And uh, I sort of, you, you, a lot of that is um, so. A lot of people have this romantic idea of the Middle Ages, and when when you start studying it, it's like, oh, it's completely different than anyone imagines. Like all the fantasy elements that you you'd probably associate with it, they're very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have to do much research because I was already I was already in that research as well, and I I just love that kind of. So I have a I follow National Geographic on Twitter because we also have magazines at home. And they have fascinating articles. And one of them was actually this, um, uh, they opened a, 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 burial, a burial site and they had found like a, lots of skeletons and decked out with um, armor and swords. And so, you know, the archaeologists assumed, well, these are male Vikings, you know, that were buried in this particular grave. And someone went back and researched those bones. And it's actually like the pelvic bones are women. So these are female Viking warriors that were buried uh, with all their armor and swords and spears and stuff. And the other thing that also applies is that sometimes when they dig up these graves and they found they found bones and they have like jewelry, they have um, things that are more associated with like embroidered um, hems of skirts or something. And then they say, well, then that's obviously you know a high-ranking Viking woman. And it's actually, if you study the bones then, which, and this has been done, like this is actual research, so that that's a, a man, like the, the bones are male. So the, the pelvic, like the, uh, it's, it's different. It's a different shape and structure than, than the females. And so they can very easily tell, well, you know, this whole gender binary thing that we are discussing so fervently in our day and age seems to have been very much more fluid way back then like the the divide wasn't as sharp so i'm like okay then let's have a look at the mythology then and we see a lot of the giants being able to shape shift i mean loki for example as you know he's he's the shapeshifter he can he can be a woman he can be you know, and marvel even takes this if you read the marvel comics uh, on thor then you have you know lady loki because Duh, it's in the mythology. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Loki's the mother of Sleipnir, you know. <laughs> so it's like it's already there. And that's awesome. Like, and where do you where do you get to see that in in, in Viking fantasy? Right? Well, not very often, which is a shame. So I'm like, yeah, come on, yeah. We'll do we'll do an extra dose of mythology and we'll do more historical <laughs> facts in, in this book as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, encountering that wherever I found. I mean, I I don't really know much about mythology. Uh, so sadly, like Marvel's Thor is probably my main introduction to like all of the Norse uh, mythology. Uh, but yeah, no, it was cool to pick up on references here and there. So uh, I guess to take things in a slightly different direction. Um, so I know you're a part of the podcast Crit Faced. 
uh, where you play Dungeons and Dragons with a group of other fantasy authors. Uh, we actually had the pleasure of interviewing Benedict Patrick not too long I know, ago. I heard that. Um, yeah. Uh, so I he actually mentioned in his interview with us uh, that it was your idea originally to record <laughs> the sessions. Uh, so I guess what made you decide to just jump into that? Um, so I, I, they approached me, <laughs> like they approached me. <laughs> no, so I ran the, um, the Spiffbo 16, uh, I think, uh, and I had entered with Touch of Iron, I think, uh, Benedict was there with, um, mostly, um, and, um, I don't know, David, because uh, Josiah and Phil were also 16, but David was like Spiffbo 15, I think. Um, and um, they had been talking, and someone had mentioned, well, let's, you know, play D&D together, and someone had then said, well, you know, well, maybe we could ask Tamandra, you know, and um, I was, I was thrilled, <laughs> I was like, yes, let's, let's do this, and um, the thing is, though, so we're all writers, and we're all um, busy with, you know, day jobs, and family life, and all this other stuff, so it's like, mm, if I give up that Sunday evening that I need to write, then we should be uh, trying to do something with it. You know, it's like put out more content. And so I made the suggestion that we should, you know, maybe tape, like record our sessions and, and put it out there as a podcast because um, I don't know if you, if you know this, but this is actually, this is actually a thing. So I think there are loads yeah. of podcasts out there. There are, there um, are. I knew it from Critical Role for, by Matthew Mercer. Uh, I mean, which is obviously far more professional <laughs> and uh, way better than, than Critface. But, you know, we're close. We're, we're very close. <laughs> and I just thought that's, that's uh, it's a good idea to have, um, to have that taped. And we did, a, we did a first adventure, which we didn't tape, uh, just so that we got to know each other and, uh, you know, got to know the rules which... To be honest, Josiah and I still don't really, because <laughs> <laughs> we're still constantly asking Benedict what we have to do now. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's, it's huge fun. It's, it's definitely, um, I think you can hear that as well. When, when you listen into the podcast, it's, it, we're very rambly because we're authors, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun in the end. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's cool that all your characters, uh, I don't know about in your original game, but all the characters in the one on Crit Face uh, are kind of like from your respective worlds that you yeah. write in, uh, which is really cool to me. I, I don't know of any other actual play D&D podcasts out there that have that element to them. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's like a, if you play Curse of Strahd, then that's sort of the, you get pulled out of your your world and you know and so we just adapted that because we already obviously have secondary fantasy worlds already established so it's like yeah so one of our characters gets pulled from one of our worlds and and that makes it really interesting well, i mean i i hope it's interesting <laughs> i like it but you know and we do have regular listeners I, I know that some some are very adamant like if we miss a an episode then they're like where's next week's episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's like, okay, it's coming. Um, yeah, so uh, I think I've heard rumors. Are, are you guys playing another D&D uh, &D game as well? Um, so mm, <laughs> there is another set of authors playing D&D. &D, uh, and okay. I know that Benedict and Phil 
uh, are definitely part of that group. <clears throat> I sadly didn't have the time because it's just like, I can only make the once a month. It, is, it is a lot. Yeah. I didn't know if it was all the crit faced crew uh, doing something else as well. Right, okay. Right. And the thing is also that um, we, because we nearly always die. <laughs> 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 and uh, our running gag is that when we do actually when when benedict finally manages to wipe us all out um then uh and, and we don't get lucky with the dust <laughs> um then we could actually create our own custom-made adventure but that's all very still up for grabs because we still haven't died yet <laughs> except right. for phil but <laughs> <laughs> No. no, I'm not caught up. Oh no! <laughs> so yeah, spoiler. Sorry. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's that's the sort of uh, where where we'd like to what we'd like to do when we finally uh, have either defeated Strad, the evil lord, or if uh, if we actually do die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's always a very. Uh, real danger in D and uh, I've only played like very small one shots before. Uh, but yeah, so that'd be something I would like to try out sometime. Hopefully not kill off my character immediately. Um, so I guess, uh, looking forward, uh, what kind of future projects do you have on the horizon? I know, uh, I think I've heard you mention like the chain smoking method before where, you know, you finish a novel, you immediately try to, uh, power on into the next one, keep next it burning. One. Yeah, so is that the plan? Are you going to keep going with Queens of the Weird or uh, maybe something else? I, I, I've already started something. <laughs> so, okay. Because, I mean, obviously, uh, so I finished the rough draft of Queens in like September and uh, and then it goes to copy editing and blah, blah, blah. And there's always a bit of time where, well, I would have nothing to do, but because I'm a writer, I'm like, oh, I've got this other project that I'd like to try. And so I'm writing... Um, it's like a, hmm, how do I describe it? It's, it's like a ghost, no, it's like a, a haunted house sort of story, but like um, in, in a more modern, hmm, I don't know. So they had like cell phones and stuff, but it's not, it, it's not like a, it's gothic. It's a gothic haunted house tale, but set in, in our modern day and age. So that's what I'm writing right now. And um, if Queens goes well, then I probably would like to write uh, like a prequel because there's, a, there's an incident mentioned in Queens quite often where they reference um, uh, a battle that they, that they um, there was the Battle of Drakenberg. And I was like, I'd like to write that just like as, as, a, as a fun, you know, how were they 20 years ago when they were, you know, at their prime and uh, they didn't have any kids and they were just like shield maidens for real. And so that, that's, that would sort of be next year then. But um, I also have another project that I'd also like to, actually I have two other projects that I, I don't have the time to write all these things. <laughs> yeah, because I'd, I'd really like to write... Um, so my short story, this war of Our, this war of ours in the Art of War anthology for charity. Um, I have a I have a story in that world that I'd really really like to write, but I do I, yeah don't have the time. <laughs> so that's sort of the the next the next next thing. Sure, and I actually uh, I've read that story, so I'm excited to hear that uh, 
you might have something in the works for that. Um, but I actually uh, was wanting to ask you, so a lot of times authors, when they submit to an anthology, uh, their short story might be kind of like a teaser for their main series. Uh, so setting this war of ours in something different, uh, what drove that decision? Why, why not set it in your living blade world? That's a very good question. Like, because marketing wise, that would have been the most sensible thing to do. And, uh, and I think if I remember correctly, like a lot of the other authors in that anthology actually did that. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It was like, I, I had this story and I knew it wouldn't fit in the living blade world. And because like in the back of my mind, I'd already started having these ideas of this difference or like, it's a, it's forest and there is also magic and, but there's also guns and I don't know. And so it just seemed to me to be like, oh, this is a great place where I can sort of, I can test drive that. Um, and try it out and see if I can actually make a story work and then maybe, you know, get around to doing something else with, with that. And I probably will, because I really, really enjoyed writing that. I mean, it's very, it's very gut wrenching. <laughs> so you also have a mother character and a, and, and a child who is, uh, on this, in this terrible war situation. Um, but yeah, that's, uh. I really love to, I really just like writing that kind of stuff. So um, there's definitely going to be something else in, in that world. Maybe with the same characters, I don't know. Okay, well, I look forward to whatever may come of that, uh, whichever way you take it. Um, so uh, I guess another thing I always like asking really anyone, but especially authors, uh, so what kind of books have you been enjoying lately? Have you read anything recently uh, you'd want to recommend? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, yes. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I, I only read good books. <laughs> no, um, um, let me think. So what came out just recently, I, I read this last week because <clears throat> the book just came out, uh, was the, the third and final installment of Holly Black's um, The Cruel Prince, The Wicked King, and now Queen of Nothing just came out. Mm. And that is, it's, it's dark YA, and it's it's very dark uh and but really really so there there's some things that are very problematic <laughs> but in the end i'd say that was that was really interesting to read so i i really enjoyed that and um right now i'm rereading six of crows by uh, lee bordugo i lay or lee i'm not exactly sure i think it's lee but uh, i don't really know i don't know that's always the difficulty that I miss Bob Dugo. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I, just, I love that story. And it's funny because I didn't, I didn't like the Grisha. I don't even know what the first one was called. So I read the first few pages and I was like, nah, nah. <laughs> and, but then uh, I remember picking up Six of Crows and I was like, yeah, this is, this is my jam. <laughs> this is my thing. And uh, what I also really loved was... Um, so I follow a couple of book bookstagrammers on Instagram, and Holly the Grim Dragon, um, uh, she had a book that's called A Horror Store by Grady Hendrix, okay. and it's it's horror obviously, uh, and <laughs> it's basically it's the the um, what's it the, the the cover looks like a, a an IKEA catalog uh, cover, 
like with the with the you know the couch and the shelf unit and and it's it's basically it's a it's a haunted house story which you know just like oh this this sounds interesting because I'm writing a haunted house story <laughs> um, but set in an it's not IKEA but you know it it, it it's kind of IKEA you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's totally not IKEA exactly. uh, and I just I love that it was it was very it was very fast read and I, I read it in one evening and it, it was very creepy uh, and very disturbing but because I, I'm an Ikea junkie I, I, I just like I love going to Ikea and just sitting around in those little rooms and <laughs> and we go eat cake you know in the in the restaurant and it's just so weird to have that sort of like horror story in in that setting it's like Oh, that's that's chilly. So definitely a shout out to Holly the Grim Dragon. That was an excellent book. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, you know, that's actually really weird that you say that because I'm currently reading a book that's kind of set in definitely not IKEA. Um, but it's like instead of horror, it's like wormholes and cosmic weirdness and everything. Uh, so what are the odds? <laughs> yeah, I think it's sort of like if you've ever been to an IKEA, you do get that feeling of the like the time and space is sort of warping here because yeah. you, you walk around the corner and you're like, wasn't I just in that department? How the hell do I get out of this place? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. So that's great. And definitely, definitely recommend that. Um, what else? I'm trying to think of uh, self-published authors that I've been reading. Ah. Uh, I, oh, I recent, well, a, a recent one that came out was Benedict Patrick's Flight of the Dragon Star. Mm, yes. And that was definitely fun read. So I, I definitely recommend it. It's very different from what he writes otherwise, but it's it's also very not different. It's very much Benedict. Like it's, it's, it's a great tale and you should definitely go check that one out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, recently read and enjoyed that one too. Oh, and there's so many. There's like <laughs> so many good books. Yeah, and, um, I mean, not only are there so many, but I feel like you know I'm always reading like an audio book. I'm listening to like a fiction podcast or an audio yes. drama. I'm going through an ebook. Uh, maybe I have like a hardcover that I'm reading as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But whenever anyone asks me what are you reading right now, I kind of just go. Uh... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, as I also read a lot of nonfiction as as audiobooks though, because that's sort of my, I, I can't do fiction very well as audio. Okay, my mind doesn't work that way, but I can like listen in if it's a nonfiction. And there was a great one by um, Johan Hari called Lost Connections, and it's uh, that that was that was really intriguing because it was like um, what if. Uh, depression and anxiety and all the mental health uh, problems that we are having as a first world society right now what if they weren't rooted in our own individual brains but actually were caused by the way we live hmm. and i was like that's uh that has potential fiction nightmare you know <laughs> <laughs> i could spin a terrible story <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's, Definitely, I, I definitely recommend. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd recommend that one. That was very, very interesting. Yeah, and I've been meaning to uh, read more nonfiction as well, so I might have to give that one a go. There's also a good one. Um, Jared Diamond does the. He's the guy who wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel. Mm. 
and he, he has a book out that's called Collapse. And, um, I, and I wouldn't recommend it right now because I'm still listening to it, but it, it sounds like so far, I, I'm not very, it's like 27 hours or something, but it's, yeah. but it, it's, uh, it sounds really great. It's like what happens when a, like the society collapses, like the, the ancient Mayas, for example, like what, mm. What is there any parallel? Like, can 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 there be a pattern? Can we, you know, see that pattern maybe happening in our own society right now? And oh, no. <laughs> shortly in front of the collapse, you know, and yeah. and uh, uh, that's 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 fascinating right now. I can't, I don't know. It seems a bit long and tedious at times, but um, my verdict is still out. All right. Um, well, I guess to kind of close things out question i always like to hear from everyone is what's one thing you've been ridiculously excited about recently it doesn't have to be books or reading doesn't have to be speculative fiction anything at all hmm. so um i don't watch much tv um but i or like netflix binge like everyone keeps on watching all these great series and i'm like i don't know <laughs> <laughs> when do you have time to watch TV? Like I'm reading all these books. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, uh, I really, really loved the third season of the crown, which I was, I was really looking for. I was very excited about, you know, when, when that came out and I basically binge watched it in, in a week, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's extraordinarily well done. So that show in general is really, really good. And, uh, and there was this, so I was worried as well, which is why I was so excited because they did a, um, they exchanged all the major players. So all the actors for the roles were changed into like slightly older uh, actors playing. Like, so in um, you'd have uh, the Queen is now played by uh, Olivia Coleman, and um, it was like, uh, and Helena Bonham Carter plays Princess Margaret now. It's <laughs> I love Helen of Bonham Carter. She's yeah. awesome. And, uh, and it's so, it's so funny because obviously the faces and everything is different, but you do very quickly, it's like, you just believe that, you know, she is the queen and she is Princess Margaret and he is, you know, Prince, Prince Philip. And, and the acting is phenomenal, but the dialogue is just like, uh, one of the things that really, gets me is like when you see a show that is that good and you know you know a large part of it obviously comes from the actors and the setting and everyone else in production but like a large part also comes from the writing and the way the actors deliver those lines and it's so savage it's like it's very quiet like no one ever yells or screams or you know obscenities like you don't get that but it's like there is there is this, this savagery in like one single line that just chills you to the bone, and it's and it's so. It's like I would have wanted that in Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> especially in the later seasons. <laughs> oh yes, so like, put that writers' room back to work, on Game of Thrones, <laughs> and and you know give us like like. Can you imagine the the dialogue between Tyrion and and uh, Cersei? Yeah, it, mm. was it the seventh or seventh season i think where they're in that room together and, and oh and it's just so, it's so excruciating because you're like oh you've got peter dinklage and you've got lena headache and they're like fantastic author uh, um, actors and and 
and they have these like wooden, terrible lines that don't even fit the character, and they still deliver. And I'm like, oh, can you imagine what would have happened with that show if we would have like that kind of writing, those kind of actors in a fantasy setting? That would be just, oh. but yeah, yeah, we got what we got. And yes, we certainly got a thing. Yes, I can. I can sort of see that a lot of authors uh, are going to take that, you know, decade-long series and and create awesome art out of frustration. And if nothing else, uh, I'm excited. You know, we have so many new fantasy IPs that are going to television yes. now. Uh, so with Game of Thrones having kind of not the best ending, to put it politely uh maybe these people will not try to just rely on you know the solid fan base they're going to try to actually give it their all yeah so i'm also looking forward to the witcher where okay. i'm like i was i was very nervous when they said um superman would play <laughs> Geralt. <laughs> i'm like okay that's a choice but you know um the trailer actually looks very close to the to the books so i'm like hmm Okay, this could be cool. We'll see in Christmas, I think. I think it's coming out at Christmas. Yeah, somewhere around there, definitely. Uh, very soon after uh, this episode goes live. <gasps> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's the thing that I'm looking forward to. Maybe it'll be good. Let's hope. Yeah, let's, let's hope. I know uh, I'm very excited about it as someone who's never played any of the games and who bounced really hard off of the first book, uh, but oh. I'm still probably going to be binging the entire season. So, oh, but did you read the did you read the first book in the in the novels, or did you read like the first book, which is like the short story collection? I read uh, the short story collection, the first one. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I I I prefer them to the novels, but. <laughs> that's that's the main reason why I've been like avoiding going into the novels because like I don't know if it's not my thing with the short stories. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, it's fun to have uh, it's fun to have something to look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. And now is a a great time to be a fantasy fan. Uh, oh, there's a lot so out there, good. and so much like we have the media, like the TV, and we have the movies coming out and we have so many books and it's like we we can like we are gluttons <laughs> there is no end to being filled with fantasy right now it's a good thing yeah it really is and on that note i think that about wraps things up uh thanks for coming on the podcast tim this has been great it has been thank you for inviting me yeah of course you're welcome back anytime you can find tamandra whitecastle on twitter as at Tim Whitecastle or at her website, tamandrawhitecastle.com. You can find a link to Queens of the Weird in both the show notes and the blog post, along with some of Tim's other work. If you like fun adventures with badass women warriors, I can wholeheartedly recommend Queens of the Weird. You can also find Tim as one of the players in the D&D podcast, Crit Faced, which is run by one of our past guests, Benedict Patrick. As always, you can find us over at thefantasyn.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. If you enjoyed this interview, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means the world to us and helps us reach new listeners. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you can catch all of our future episodes. That's all for this week. See you next time. <laughs>